Hello and welcome back or welcome for the first time to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett. I am a child therapist who lives and works in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. And this is a podcast dedicated to play therapy coming at it from a child-centered perspective. And before I get going on the podcast, I wanted to mention that I've got a Patreon page up, which before had no added bonuses or benefits besides contributing. And at this point, I'm uh, giving the opportunity on there to have an extra episode listened to each month, as well as the opportunity to provide suggestions for episodes and for those extra episodes. So check that out. That's in different tiers and it's on Patreon and there's a support the show link in the description of the episode to give you more details on that. And I won't ramble too much about it. Today on the podcast, I want to chat about the dangers of diagnosis. Diagnosis is something that is part of all mental health treatment. Now that mental health treatment has been medicalized, which it has been for some time. And so on here, I want to chat about what diagnosis is, what we're trying to do when we diagnose, and the problems inherent in diagnosis, especially when treating children. To start, and if you're a clinician, you already know this, but if you're maybe a parent or somebody else, this could be less familiar to you. All of the diagnoses are included in a book called the DSM, and we are on the DSM-5, which means that that is the fifth edit of the DSM. And why the DSM needs to be edited as much as it does is because our understanding of the human condition and the way that human being struggles changes and evolves over time. And as it evolves, the DSM evolves as well. And ideally, what the DSM is, is it is a document that captures the human experience and all of the ways that the human experience can go wrong. But our understanding of that is based in both science to some degree, but also in whatever our cultural understanding at the time is of what is healthy or what is unhealthy in terms of a human being and how we go about identifying people when they are struggling and trying to name those struggles as exactly as possible. For me, I am not firmly convinced that the DSM is an accurate document of all of the ails of the human experience. But even if we set that aside for a second and we pretend that the DSM is an accurate document for diagnosing all of the human experience, it feels important to point out, both for clinicians and parents and anyone who cares about children, just what happens when someone is diagnosed and who is diagnosing them, and what knowledge and wisdom they have. I can say for myself, as a therapist, that when I went to school, I took one class on the DSM that met for three hours every week. And during that class, we spent one week on each section of the DSM, whether that's anxiety disorders or depressive disorders or what have you, And that class mostly included lecture. It didn't include that many examples. And that is literally all of the training that I have received in order to diagnose people. So to recap, the DSM itself is a document which you can either say is the literal truth of the human experience and not just a product of our culture and values of this moment. In addition to that, most likely 
the person that you're seeing, who you're being diagnosed by, does not have an, an exhaustive in and out knowledge of the DSM as a document. If you are seeing a, say, like a psychologist or you are seeing a psychiatrist, it's possible and probable that they have a more detailed knowledge of the DSM. Those people also usually don't do therapy, so they're not going to be the ones that are providing the treatment themselves. If any of you have experience going and seeing a psychiatrist, that can usually involve a 15 to 20 minute assessment, which is not a long enough period of time to really get a sense of a person and where they're at and what their unique experiences and personality are and the various ways that they might be struggling. I can say that I even know people who have been through graduate programs who did not have a course on the DSM at all. So most likely, if you are going to see a licensed professional counselor, this is speaking from the perspective of the United States and specifically North Carolina, or if you are seeing a licensed clinical social worker, that person does not have an exhaustive knowledge of the DSM. They have a limited knowledge of the DSM. I can't say that I have read the whole book cover to cover by any means. So then let's take it a step farther. Let's now even assume that the DSM is an accurate document and that the person who is giving the diagnosis is giving that diagnosis accurately based on an extensive knowledge of the DSM, even though both of those things probably aren't true. In that case, as a therapist, and especially as a therapist who takes insurance, I am expected to provide a diagnosis almost immediately for the clients that I see. Now with the children that I see, it is my experience that children often can come into sessions with me and that those sessions can shift rather quickly as they get more comfortable in the session. I have a much clearer picture of a child at session five than I do at session one or session two. Often in session one or session two, a child is still getting to know me. We're still building rapport and I haven't been able to really get a glimpse of what they are like in general, beyond, say, some hesitancy or fear that they have in their relationship with me. Now, that doesn't include all children by any means. I can think of many children who do come in, and when they come in, they have a pretty, you know, things are similar session one than they are in session five. They they are comfortable off the bat. We can start diving into something that's more play-like off the bat. But for other children, that's not the case. So if we're dealing with a child for whom that's not the case then we're often going on what the parents are saying in terms of the diagnosis. And there are many times also when parents are able to see their children clearly, and there are other times when parents are not. And that is not, say, the fault of those parents for not trying hard enough to not see their children clearly. It's more that they have their own emotional baggage and blocks towards having an accurate and clear picture of their children. And so the information that they provide is based on their perspective, and it is not uncommon in my experience working with children or working with teenagers for parents to provide one perspective on the child and for that child to have a very different perspective of themselves. And again, as has been said earlier on this podcast, um, or on different podcasts rather, children don't choose to come to therapy. So often the reasons that they're coming to therapy are the reasons that are provided by the parents. And then the parents' reasons for having that child do therapy will probably be where the diagnosis is. But then that diagnosis may not actually correspond to the issues that the child is dealing with. 
So now we have a situation where we're diagnosing someone based on the perceptions of another person whose perceptions might be off, and that those perceptions that are off are then given to the therapist. The therapist then has hopefully not a lot of their emotional baggage. It's incumbent on all of us as therapists to go to therapy, but at the end of the day, we're still people, and we still have experiences, and we still see things through certain filters, even though we do our best as therapists not to see things through certain filters. So we have the filter of the parents that's then passed through the filter of the parent, the therapist rather, and then that's tried to be plugged into the system of the DSM, which is all to say that there are so many steps along that process of diagnosing a child based on how early we have to do it, based on all those filters and everything else, that makes it very difficult for that diagnosis to actually be an accurate representation of this child's individual experience on the planet. So it ends up being my experience that the diagnosis of a child is a dangerous thing to do. It's dangerous for us to take that diagnosis too seriously in terms of their treatment, and it's also dangerous for parents to take that diagnosis too seriously and for children to take that diagnosis too seriously because... On the one hand, it might be wrong, and on the other hand, that diagnosis, especially if we're using play therapy, is not actually helpful whatsoever in terms of the treatment of that child. The only exception I can think of off the top of my head is a child who's dealing with trauma. If there's trauma in the playroom and I'm aware of that trauma, or if I'm not aware that a trauma exists, but it looks like post-traumatic play is happening inside of the playroom, then from my perspective, I do need to adjust and I do need to be aware and I do need to be more sensitive of what's happening and aware of what's happening inside of the room because what we're dealing with is large and the facilitation of working with trauma is important. But if the diagnosis is, say, an anxiety disorder or a depressive disorder or, you know, ADHD or whatever the other hot diagnoses of the time are, it really doesn't matter in the slightest what that diagnosis is in terms of what healing and growth and evolution and what we do as the therapist and how treatment goes looks like for that particular child. Because if we are using child-centered play therapy... We are letting the child lead the therapy. We are trusting that they are going to take the therapy where it needs to go. We are trusting that when they are able to express themselves and be themselves and play out whatever they need to play out inside of the playroom, that they will guide us to their own healing. It is still on us to facilitate. It is still on us to manage the relationship. It is still on us to provide the structure and to provide, at times, the narrative or some of that larger meaning behind what's happening inside of the room. It's honest to have a sense of where things are going and where things might be stuck, but all of that is still on top of this foundational layer of trust to have things in session go where they need to go and have the treatment go where it needs to go, and the diagnosis would simply be a way for us to view the child that is actually not using what they're bringing in inside of the room, is not using the thoughts and feelings and pain and whatever else it is and their relationship with us and their attachment style and all of that sort of thing and where they are developmentally, all of that can get lost inside of this box of, oh, this person is struggling with anxiety or, oh, this person is struggling with depression or, oh, they're struggling with focus and believing that we know 
that that's the problem, when all problems for all people can be more layered than that, and have issues that are have a root that's much deeper than whatever symptom is manifesting itself on the surface. And if you're practicing child-centered play therapy, you probably already know a lot of that, and you probably already have a sense of that. Where I get into sticky situations is when I am communicating with other adults in this child's life, and they may say, hey, what is the diagnosis for this child? And I can feel some pressure inside of that to communicate a particular diagnosis and then how I'm addressing that diagnosis. And some of that just has to be done because that's the way therapy is framed culturally, that we are doctors or something like other doctors and someone comes in with a particular problem and that we are doing x thing to address x problem but at the end of the day if you're a play therapist and you use play therapy with the majority of the children you see and you use play therapy in a non-directive fashion then what you're doing with each child is more or less the same thing in terms of the kind of person that you're trying to be in terms of the space that you're trying to create And there is a lot of effort and intention in allowing yourself to be the best facilitator that you can be. In terms of the work that I do, there are times when I'll do directed activities. You know, whether that's in Santre or expressive arts where I might be facilitating that activity that a child is naturally drawn towards a little bit differently than I'm facilitating, say, straight up play. And I might be guiding that facilitation based on the child, but I'm basing it on them as a person and I'm not basing it on their diagnoses because if I was basing it on their diagnosis, that's a waste of time. And on some level, it's dehumanizing to who they are as a person. So the way that I end up approaching it these days is is trying to be as honest as possible with the adults in a child's life and saying, hey, I've got, I've got to put down a diagnosis. I've got to put down a diagnosis for insurance. And based on what you're saying and based on what I'm seeing in your child as I'm assessing them, this is the diagnosis that I'm putting down. If that's not, if they, if they haven't asked about that part of the process, then I won't even go there. Like, let's not talk about something that we don't need to talk about in terms of your child's evolution and development. Like, I can help them heal and I can help them grow regardless of how we label them. So if it doesn't come up, it doesn't come up and I don't want it to come up. But if it does come up, that's the conversation that I have, is to say that, you know, even though we are giving this diagnosis. I'm not too attached to it. I don't know if that's where treatment needs to go or not go. It's an educated guess, but I am following your child's lead 100% on where they need to grow, and I believe in their ability to do that inside of this space, and I am not going to be thinking about their anxiety disorder or ADHD diagnosis or what have you, when I'm seeing them, I'm going to be focused on them as a person. So diagnosis is a game that we need to play as therapists. We, for better or worse, do need to be familiar with the DSM. We do need to be familiar with the different diagnoses. We do need to be able to speak that language But in terms of the actual healing and growth that happens with a child, when they walk into the room, we can let all of that information just fall out of our minds and be as present with them as we can be. And focusing on the diagnosis does not help us be present with them. Focusing on their history helps us be present with them. Focusing on what they're bringing into the room 
and the emotions that they're having and the narratives that they craft and the things that they create and the way that they are with us, all of that, tapping into that, helps us to help them grow. And if you're a parent out there and your child has received a diagnosis from someone and you don't agree with that diagnosis, you think that diagnosis seems off, you're surprised by that diagnosis, your child is also like, hey, I don't really agree with that diagnosis either, then discard it, then throw it out. If your therapist then continues to be focused on that diagnosis, find a new therapist. I mean, there's lots of talented people out there doing therapy, and there's also a lot of people out there doing therapy who could be too focused on diagnosis, who believe that it's more important than it actually is, and who then start seeing you and your family through a lens that might not be correct. And then if you're accepting of that lens, that's a dangerous thing to do. This is not a science that we're talking about. When we're talking about someone who has a poor understanding of a book, looking at your family and your child through their own filters and doing that in a short amount of time to provide a diagnosis, that's not something that you need to take seriously by any means, especially if it doesn't feel true for you. And I don't want to imply in that that there is not some benefit somewhere to assessing people accurately. I do believe that there are people who are really gifted at assessing what's going on and can sometimes get those nuances of the human experience and what someone is struggling with, whether that's through testing or otherwise, that could be more helpful in increasing empathy for the child and having a more nuanced understanding of the situation that can happen. But there's a lot of the time that it doesn't happen. And just because somebody's got letters after their name doesn't mean that they necessarily know what they're doing or that they're any wiser than anybody else about the human experience. And that's all I've got for this episode of Playtime. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, check out the books and other recordings and whatnot at barnettchildtherapy.com. As always, you can contact me at barnettchildtherapy at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, see you next time. Thank you.